welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Pastor Audra already made the introduction. I'm Kevin. Uh, I'll say it again. Like I'm, I'm Kevin uh, from the Pembroke campus, uh, pastor down there, and uh, glad to be here with you this morning. So Pastor Mark and I flip-flopped. I'm here. He's there. Uh, so I know you guys probably recently been playing kind of the where in the world is Carmen San Diego, um, you know, with, with Pastor Mark. This morning he's in Pembroke, and uh, what? Are you going to sing it? No, no. I'll I'll sing you other songs later. So um, hey, do me a favor. Um, would you all just stand with me for a minute? I, I want to get the, the the blood pumping this morning and just encourage us all and and um, yeah. There was a song that we sang, and I, I want us to just to repeat those words. Would you, would you repeat with me? Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. Come wake me from my sleep. Blow through the caverns of my soul. Pour in me to overflow. To overflow. In Jesus' name. That's what I want. Amen. Is that what you want to? Yes. I didn't say stop repeating after me. <laughs> you go ahead and be seated. Simon says. Um, so, for those of you that have been here for the past couple weeks, you know that we're in this series called The Bride. We are, this is week three of our series called The Bride. And the bride is us. It's, it's his church. It's God's church. We are his bride. And at some point in life, at some point, at some point, because no one knows the day or the hour, but at some point he is coming back. Our bridegroom, Jesus, is coming back to receive his bride. That's us. And he's calling us and encouraging us to be ready to live ready, to always be prepared for his return. Not to just, you know, like, well, God, can you, can you hook me up with a date and let me know like when that's going to be and then I'll get my act together? He's, he's calling us today and every day going forward to live ready for his return. Amen? Yes. Is it scary? Yes. All right. Cool. There's six people here that are excited for Christ's return. Um, as we've been reading through these different letters that John wrote through Jesus's inspiration to the church, to these specific churches, a couple weeks ago, we, we, you know, learned of the letter written to the church in Ephesus. And then last week was, okay, cool. You get the gold star today. Uh, Smyrna, or as some people say, Smyrna, which I don't get it, but Smyrna. And then this week we read the letter that is written, the, the words spoken from Jesus to John and written to the church in Pergamum. I didn't know if you guys read ahead and someone was going to shout it out. Full permission to be interactive this morning. You can shout out, you can like, just beware that if you throw something, I can catch and I will throw it back. So bring it on. As I've been reading through these, these letters, there's, there's kind of a, there's a pattern that I've noticed. Uh, and this pattern is like, you, you, you're doing, man, great job. You're doing these things well. Awesome. Gold star for you. You're like, this is, these are the words from Jesus. And then there's the but. But this I have against you. And it's like, I don't know, this past week, I've, I've got three kids. I've got a 15-year-old daughter. It's funny that I have to actually, like, she's this tall. I have a 15-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, and a 5-year-old son. He's my favorite. I can say that here because they're in Pembroke this morning. <laughs> And there's no way they're going to listen to dad online because they have to hear me enough at home. So, yeah. So the boy, he's, I mean, he's carrying on the Twombly family line, uh, right? 
So all kinds of women in the room are just uncomfortable right now. Yeah, that's the same thing my dad put on me, and I'm not feeling happy right now. So sorry, ladies, we're going to pray for healing later from those past wounds. But so my 11-year-old daughter, McKenna, my 11-year-old daughter is in this stage of life where she's a little bit, and again, forgive me if I'm being insensitive, but oversensitive, oversensitive about everything. She cries at the drop of a hat. Uh, just, yo, why'd you drop the hat? Like, like, what do you mean? It's not even yours. It, she'll, she's just oversensitive right now. Um, and it, it's to the point where like when we're, when we're talking with her, we are always, as parents, we're trying to get our kids to strive to do their best. You know, like if, if that's your best, I'm happy with it. But if you're just doing something, and I'll take schoolwork, for example, because it's just the biggest target on the wall right now, schoolwork, there's a difference between doing things to get them done and doing things to do them well or do them right. And my daughter's in this stage of life where as long as I just write on paper, my homework's done. And, right? Mission accomplished. I filled in the blanks. With what? I don't know. Um, and, and we've got ourselves, like, I, I find myself over, you know, after dinner, okay, pull out your homework, let's take a look at it. And the statements that I hear from her all the time, you know, let me take the homework and, okay, circle this one, circle this one, circle this one, circle this. Okay, you did your homework, but you didn't do the work. Here, try again and hand it back to her. And the statement that we hear over and over again in our household right now from my 11-year-old daughter, nothing's ever good enough for you. I'll never be smart. I'll, why can't you just love me for what I do? Because, sweetheart, you're 11. And I love you. But I know that you can do better. And the same heart that I have as McKenna's daddy, wanting to spur her on and challenge her and like cheer her on, I I want her to do well. I want her to do her best. I want her to grow and know what she's doing and not just do stuff. I I filled in the blanks. Like this this is a real lame attempt at effort in this work, but... I I did it, at least. The paper's complete. I want my daughter to grow and do the things well so that when she puts her hands to things later on in life, she's set up to do very well in life as opposed to just, well, you know, I'll just, I'll do the bare minimum and, you know, at some point in life, someone will acknowledge that the bare minimum is awesome. Yeah, the irony there. We all know that that's not true. And so I'm spurring her on and and challenging and trying to encourage her to do those things well because I love her and I want the best for her. There isn't a day that goes by where I don't pray for my kids, my daughter specifically. I pray God's best for her. I, I want her to have a great life, living the life that God has purposed her to live. I, I want her to have that good life. And I know in order for her to have that life, she's got to exhibit some effort. She's got she's to do some work. She's got to do some hard things and challenge herself, stress herself so that she'll grow and she'll grow well. That's God's heart for his church. And when we read these letters and we read, you're doing pretty good. Hey, nice on that one. Give you a thumbs up. I'll, I'll Facebook like you on that one. But this I have against you. It's not God in a condemning kind of like, you're evil, you're bad. It's not, (laughs) sorry. I think I scared her. (laughs) Uh, It's it's not, that's not God's attempt to like do, like make you feel worthless. It's God saying, I love you. And if you would get these things right, Man, the promise that I have for you, the purpose that I have for your life, the plans that I have for your future, they're good and you're going to see each of them come to pass in your lifetime. 
That's God's heart for the church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Revelation. It's real easy to find. Just turn to the right extremely fast. (laughs) Revelation. Everyone got got it? Don't look on the screen if you've got a Bible. You know what the best... We're told make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know what the most joyful noise to the Lord is? This right here. Pages turning in his book, in his word. If you've got your Bibles, please open up to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, but you've got an iPad or a phone or something that has a Bible app on it, go ahead and turn there. Because there's nothing better than getting into God's word for your own. There's nothing better than getting in there and reading it for yourself. Don't just let me spoon feed you. Don't just let me just read it to you or throw it up on the screen and just trust that the words are right. Validate it and verify it for yourself. I I love in scripture where um, Paul commended the Bereans because they didn't just take for granted what he said. They went back afterwards and they read through the word and they said, he's right. What he said was true. And that's, that's how we should live. Amen? Amen? That, again, isn't me going, you're bad. That's, that's me saying, fall in love with the Word of God, Amen. and it will go well with you throughout your life. Because you will not... Well, we'll talk more about that. So, Revelation chapter 2. Do you have it? Yep. Cool. Uh, both of you, read along with me. Uh, <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. Uh, beginning with verse 12, and I'm, I'm not turning my back on you, but I need some light. You guys are cave dwellers here. Um, <laughs> Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. What's the two-edged sword? The word, the word of God. The word of God. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have, like, but wait, there's more. So also you have with you some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. Repent means turn around, go the other direction. If you were walking in this direction towards those who were teaching the, the teachings of the Nicolaitans and following it, it, now I'm not. I'm going the other direction. Therefore, repent. Repent. Go the other way. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. What's the sword? The word of God. God, If if you were here at the beginning of the year for like eight, nine, ten weeks when we went through Veritas, what is this? Truth. Truth. What is this? The word of God, the sword. I will come to you and battle, war against you with my word. I will speak things that will come to pass. Why? Because God's not a liar. Nothing he says is untrue. Everything he says is truth. And so if he comes to you and like, hey, things are messed up and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to battle and war against those who are following these ways. He's not lying. Let's live in such a way that we don't fall prey to these lies. Let's know God's word. If this is truth, what's the best way to avoid falling into the trap that the enemy lays for you? By by reading the Bible, Pastor Kevin. By reading the Bible, by getting into his word and knowing exactly what it says. There's 66 books within this one book written over a period of thousands of years by many different writers, but all inspired by one God. 
This book is 100% written by men, but also 100% written by God. And if we want to live our lives in such a way that we will follow his teaching, we need to know what this says. Every jot and tittle, to kick it old school for a minute. We need to know what this book says. Revelation chapter 2, he, he goes on, so, therefore repent, if not I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. You guys know what manna is? What is it? Yeah, there you go. Gold star for her too. Manna is like this, this, when the Israelites were being led out of Egypt and they're hungry and they're like, I need some food. And they're you know, grumbling to Moses like, you've led us out here to die. I'd rather just go back to slavery. And, and Moses goes to God and says, like, they're grumbling again. And God provides for them manna. The, the interpretation of the word manna is, what is it? What is it? Because they came out one morning and there was this stuff all over the ground and they went, what is it? And Moses said, you guys just, just eat it and shut up. Like just, but this manna was given to them daily. They could harvest what they needed for the day. Anything more than what they needed for that 24 hour period of time would go bad. They'd wake up the next morning if they like, oh, I'm going to take a little extra because I might get hungry, midnight snack. And they take a little extra and they leave it there beside their bed. They wake up in the morning, rotten, just nasty. Like, I will give to you what you need each day. That's God's promise then. It's God's promise now. And it's God's promise going forward. And I love what he says. If, if you overcome to those Da, 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 da. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you what you need today. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it and the one who gave it. I will give you a white stone and I will give you a new name. I'll write that name upon that stone and give it to you. No one else will know what that name is except for the giver and the receiver. There's a cool thing in understanding that. I'm going to deviate for a moment. I'm going to slide over this way and go kind of just because there's a, there's a cool concept to hear in this. So if you've received the Holy Spirit, you have the opportunity to receive these different gifts, to be able to use them, to build up and edify not just yourself, but edify the body, to build up the body, to encourage, to spur on. One of those gifts that he gives is tongues, being able to speak in tongues, also a heavenly language, a prayer language. I love the idea of a prayer language specifically because of this. There are things in my life that are going on that I have no idea what are going on. I, like today, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to drive back to my house in Penacook. And on my drive down, there may be something that's going to happen that I completely am unaware of right now. But as I pray in my prayer language, the Holy Spirit within, within me intercedes on my behalf directly from the Holy Spirit in me to God the Father, praying specific prayers that I don't even know what are being spoken the cool thing with that is even though I don't know, they're being spoken, they're being prayed. Those needs are being proclaimed to God and they're being heard by him. Back in World War I, they, um, they enlisted Native Americans to be able to uh, be like these code talkers. They spoke specific languages that couldn't be interpreted by the enemy. Because they couldn't be interpreted, they could send about their... Like, hey, this is where we're going. This is the battle we're going to do. This is the number of troops. They could speak all of that stuff in a way that would not be heard or intercepted by the enemy. Because, they could not, because the enemy couldn't hear what was planned, they were caught unaware when the battle went forward. What we have when we pray in our prayer language is code talking. 
the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf in such a way that not only we don't necessarily understand what we're saying, what we're praying, but the enemy does not understand what we're praying. Do you know the power in that? Do you understand? Do you? Do you, do you understand that the power there, the Holy Spirit being able to pray on your behalf for things that you may not even be aware of and other things that you are aware of and you're praying in this prayer language and the Holy Spirit interceding through you to God and the enemy does not hear it. He can hear it, but it's just gibberish. He doesn't understand. The enemy doesn't understand what's being spoken, which means he can't combat the plan that God has to work through you. Do you understand that? Isn't that cool? Now, in your life, because we, in, in Corinthians, and I'm just going to say it is written, um, uh, Maya will give the, the chapter and verse reference later. Um, hook a brother up. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <laughs> Told you. The old is gone. The new has come. Okay, so if he's given you a white stone, I keep stepping out of the lights. You didn't put the baby stroller back in front so I knew where to stand. If, if he's given you a white stone and he's given you a new name, he's written that new name upon it, okay? We also understand what, yeah, he's, <laughs> there we go. I work better with boundaries. Help in front of the cards. <laughs> If he's, if he's given you a stone with a new name on it, we understand one of the roles of the enemy is that he's the accuser of the brethren, okay? He goes before God. He stands in the throne room of God and he speaks to God. Man, let me tell you what Doug did. Man, he is messed up. Doug is one bad dude. And, and Satan just keeps speaking to God and accusing the brethren. He keeps speaking these things. Now, the real cool thing is we also have Jesus who sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf all the time. And it's cool because Jesus will again turn to God and go, don't listen to a thing he said. No. Doug, Doug is ours. Amen. He's a child of the king. Amen. God, you did everything you needed to do for Doug. And everything that's spoken, those are lies. Dad, don't believe a word that that fool speaks. Now, that right there in itself is a cool picture. But if he gives you a new name, that means the name that the enemy, because he doesn't know that new name, right? right. No one else knows that new name. If, if the deceiver, the accuser, is standing before God and speaking and saying, do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? Who's he, who's he making accusations toward? The old you. Right. The dead you. You're a new creation. He's using names that don't exist any longer. Get excited. <laughs> like, we can't, I told you, we can be interactive. We can, yeah, every once in a while just whoop. We, we can, because we can get excited about that. Yeah, you know what? I'm not who that liar speaks about. That's not me. I'm a child of the one true king. Amen. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. And that liar can talk all about my past. It's the past. And it's not who I am. And it's not who you are. If you are in Christ. Do you get it? Then like, woo, come on, everyone just. It's the, yeah. Get some, Elaine, come on. It's. It's the Super Bowl, and man, the butler just did it in the end zone with a pick. It's like, you can get excited. You can get excited. So, back into Revelation. There's, there's something we need to understand. If he's speaking to this church, 
this church in Pergamum. And he's speaking to them saying, okay, but I have a few things against you. You have some here who hold to the teaching of Balaam. You have some here um, who, like this, the, 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 they, they taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. The sons of Israel. Do you know who you are? The sons of Israel. Sons and daughters of Israel. You are his chosen people. Okay? And what the accusation here is, is that there are those who have come into relationship, communication, and taught you about some specific things. Taught you, put the stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. In the, in the culture that we live in, would you say that, well, friends with benefits, casual hookups, one night stands, acceptable? I'm not, no, I'm not saying in the church. I'm not saying like us because we're holy and pure and, you know, better than the best. But in the world that we live in, in that culture, acceptable? Come on, if you watch TV shows, that's all we see. And that's all the culture that we live in wants to speak to us, communicate to us, is that that's okay. If it feels good, do it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Right? That's, that's what we're spoken. People communicate that to us over and over and over again. It's interesting. Um, and, well, Christian Mingle. You guys heard of Christian Mingle? Anyone seen it on TV? On the web page. Not on our web page. Um, <laughs> Anyone ever use Christian Mingle? Come on, be bold. Christian Mingle? All right, yeah. How about FarmersOnly.com? You guys see the commercial for that one? I'm going to go on a tirade for a minute. Farmers Only. You don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. Like, you've never... Elaine, we got... Okay, I'm, I'm going to pull up YouTube later, and I'm going to show you that city folks just don't get it. That's their tagline. It's a dating site for hillbillies. Rednecks, yeah. Um, country bumpkins that are lonely and just got Bessie. And so I'm, look, I'm looking, looking for someone I could tie. So, yeah. Christian Mingle. Christian Mingle did a survey. Um, this is the I don't know, statistics from the Christian Mingle State of Dating in America report. In their, now, keep in mind, they surveyed Christians. They're Christian Mingle. So they're serving their... They're, they surveyed from their audience Christians. 61% of Christians, this was their finding, 61% of Christians say it's okay to have sex before marriage. 61% of Christians, now understand, surveyed, I'm, I'm going to not say 61% of Christians here in this room believe that it's okay to have sex before marriage. But 61% of the Christians that they surveyed say it's okay to have sex before marriage. What's, what's even scarier is, because that is a huge number, but what's even scarier is I believe wholeheartedly, I don't have the facts to back this up, I'll just, the culture that we, the world we live in, the, the plenty of conversations I've had with people, I strongly believe that the percentage of Christians that actually have sex before marriage is even greater than that 61%. There's just 61% of Christians are honest. Right? Now, just in case for some reason I've been misinterpreted here and someone in the room is saying, Pastor Kevin said it's okay for Christians to have sex outside of marriage. I did not. I will not. The Bible is very clear that sex outside of marriage is, is not only sin and harmful, but it's, it's hurtful to you. It's, it's wrong. So don't have sex outside of marriage. God's desire for you is that you would have life and life to the full. And that does not mean, woo, I'm getting my swerve on. That has nothing to do with that. 
His desire for you is to have abundant life and set yourself up to be in relationships that are healthy and life-giving. Got it? So don't have sex outside of marriage. Okay? If you don't take anything else away today. Just. But how much of our culture have we allowed to influence our thinking and then because of that, in our changed thinking, we've changed our actions and even changed our beliefs. If we're not careful, our actions might become ungodly or unbiblical and our beliefs might lead us down a very hurtful path that will affect us for eternity. Our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what we believe. Do you understand again when I say you need to read this and get this in you? You need to know what his word says. Because if you, if, you, if you profess that you are a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you are one who follows Jesus, then you should know what Jesus said. Amen. This is his word, and this will help you understand what you believe. Because if you don't know what you believe, the, word, the world will tell you what you believe or tell you what to believe. This was Jesus in Revelation chapter 2, addressing the church in Pergamum. It seems that truth can be relative to our culture. And, and well, does truth change? Even if our knowledge increases? Okay. Amen. Truth can change a man or a woman. Truth changes men and women every day. It's absolute truth written within this book. And when we live our life according to his truth, well, when the culture says, man, it's okay. You can do that. I mean, everyone else is. When the TV shows that are on show and speak to different arrangements with relationships. Well, it's okay. Because I see it on TV, and if it's, if it's on TV, it must be true. If it's on TV, it must be right. If it's on TV, it must be acceptable. And so if it's acceptable, then I should do it as well. And we fall for the scheme of the enemy, and we begin to believe lies, and we accept them as truth. That's what... Jesus had against the church in Pergamum. They allowed the culture to speak into them in such a way that steered them away from the truth that God had for them, the life that he had planned for them, the purpose and the promise that he had specifically set for each person. And we can fall the same way. Guard yourself. Guard your life. Guard your doctrine. Be careful that you will not fall. Be careful that you will not be swayed by the teachings of someone who is a deceiver. Amen? Amen. This church was not perfect. However, Jesus spoke to some things and commended them on some things. You, like you live in this culture and yet there will be those who overcome. There will be those who are conquerors. And to those who are conquerors, I will provide for you and meet your needs. You'll receive some of the hidden manna. I'll give you a white stone with a new name written upon it. That stone was symbolic of your entrance ticket into the banquet. The banquet to end all banquets. The throne room of God. The church in Pergamum had faith in Jesus, but they allowed other teachings and ideas to cause the people to stumble in sin. May we not be those people. May we be a people who are so full of the Holy Spirit that we discern 
because that's a gift that he gives. Discern what is right and what is true and live only that way. May we be people who have overcome and identify those lies and speak against those lies and live according to his truth. Pergamum had a strong culture of pagan worship. It's interesting when you think through that because, well, the world that we live in has a strong culture of pagan worship. It doesn't even have to be a, some sort of, you know, deity that someone created. It doesn't have to be some carved image. It could be, you guys got to check this out, man. It's awesome. Some people kneel at the throne of technology. There are so many different opportunities to worship so many false gods. May our hearts be consumed only by him, for him, that we would live our lives free from that clutter, free from the destruction, free from the distraction of so many things that strive to get our attention and strive to pull us away from the life that we've been created to live. How how much of our culture have we let influence our beliefs? I mean, think about it. Just because we're all different and we all live different lives, think about the choices, decisions you've made just in the past week. How much of our culture have we let influence our beliefs? The choices, the decisions you made over the past week. Were there things that lined up perfectly with the word of God? Were there things that maybe, I'm just going to kind of go over this way just a little bit. Well, this is just a little thing. It's no big deal. Are we living our lives holy? Holy for him in every area. Our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what we believe. So do we retreat from our culture? Create our own little monastic societies? This is kind of a cool structure right here. I, I, it was kind of, so you got a parking garage above you. There's nice like fortified concrete walls all around. This like Fort God right here. Like there's, there's comfortable floors over there in the kids' rooms. There's bathrooms downstairs. I mean, we, like, I know there's plumbing for showers because this was going to be a gym. So we could, we could get some showers in here. The, like the soda shop next door, we could burrow a hole through the wall and we, could, we never have to leave this place. We can stay unspoiled by the world. We'll stay right here. Come on. That's, then we'll never be swayed by the tactics of the enemy, right? This is, we'll just, we'll stay right here. We'll hunker down in the bunker and, and just, we're gonna live pure and holy in Fort God. Maybe we'll even hang a flag. We'll, we'll post a flag up on the top so everyone knows this is Fort God. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting on... On the eve of Jesus being ripped away from the relationships that he was in, knowing that he was going to face beating and persecution, crucifixion, death, on the eve of that, Jesus prayed. He prayed a specific prayer. And if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, beginning with verse 14, we read this. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. 
Your word is truth, veritas. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Sanctified in truth, that they may be cleansed by your word. To be in the world, but not of it. That's what we've been called to do. Not to seclude ourselves, not to build up barriers, not to like, oh man, those people are nasty. I'm going to stay away from them because I don't want to be soiled. R2's calling in. Uh, He's called us to be in the world, but not of it. That means to live amongst all people and live in such a way that people around you, regardless of how they're living, they're looking at you going, I want what you got. How is it that you can live even in the midst of all this? How can you live with, with such peace, with such hope? How is it that you can love that guy, even though he's a jerk? How is it that you can forgive that person, even though, I mean, you have every reason to hold on to bitterness and harbor bad feelings towards them. You should probably punch that guy in the nose. The world around you would give you every possible justification. And yet they see you and they see the way you respond to people and they go, how do I live like you? And scripture reminds us, always be prepared to give reason for the hope within you. But do so with gentleness and love. Do so with gentleness and love. Don't just, oh, well, you know, you, you want to know, you, you want to you know how I can live with such hope and such peace? Man, just man, throw the book at him. You know, read this, you sinner. No, do so with, do so with gentleness and love. Sit down with them, buy them a cup of coffee, explain to them, like, this is who I was, but it's not who I am anymore. This is what happened when God got hold of my life. I mean, I've been redeemed. I've been restored. I've been made new. And he can do the same thing for you. Speak life into people. Don't hold up and, you know, let's just avoid any person that is not a Jesus person. You can do that, but then people have other labels for you. We need to be in the world, but not of it. And if we know God's word, if this is hidden in our heart that we may not sin against him, then we can live in such a way that others around us will want to know, how do I live like that too? That's who we've been called to be people so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of life, abundant life, that others are just clamoring to like, man, if our desire is to impact the state of New Hampshire, you guys locally right here in Laconia, to restore a broken city, man, if we get this right, if, if we truly, if we all collectively get this in us and fall madly in love. I don't want to just say with the city of Laconia because people could say, well, I, I, that gazebo over there is beautiful. I love the river view. No, fall in love with the people of Laconia. You get this in you and you fall madly in love with the people of Laconia. And man, this building isn't big enough. There are not enough churches in Laconia to house all the people who will truly be madly in love with God. If you live your lives in such a way around them that they can't do anything but fall in love with God. That's who we are. That's who we are. Don't don't listen to the lies of the enemy any longer saying, well, you're just one person or you're just one church or... You're just one group of people and, you know, don't, don't listen to the lies that have been spoken even in the past, maybe by other churches or other leaders pointing out the wrongs in other churches because that's garbage and that needs to be broken. 
understand that we are one church, capital C church. It's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of your own little thing. And if anything, we need to speak life about other churches and about other leaders. We need to speak truth and we need to speak love. No finger pointing. Like, oh, we've got our act together. We're superior. We're, man, this is, this is it right here. Because that does nothing but divide. This city, this state will be transformed, restored by his love through his people. That's us. That's you. Turn to the person beside you and say, it's on you, bro. And you can, and you can call ladies, bro. It's okay. Be in, but not of. We, we sang a song earlier this morning, um, and, and the line within the song, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. I did a wedding um, a week or so ago, and you know, bride has the veil. And I'm thinking, what a stupid place to put an anchor. <laughs> right? Like, that makes no sense at all. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews. Mowage. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. You know those times where you have a bookmark and then you take the bookmark out? Do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Talk about Jesus like being taken and being crucified. On that final moment when Jesus is on the cross, nailed to the cross, and he says, it is finished. What else happens? There's a veil, there's a curtain. See, in the temple, there was, well, there's, there's the outer area where, you know, like all you nasty, dirty sinner people can, can be, just ordinary people. And then there's this big, thick curtain, and inside the curtain is the Holy of Holies. It's the place where only the high priest can go. Matter of fact, they had to go through all, or all sorts of cleaning rituals so that they were perfectly pure before going in there. They would actually tie a string to the ankle of the priest before going in, just in case he messed up in this whole cleansing thing. And they would tie a bell so that when he went in, you could hear like, dingle, 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 dingle. And he's doing whatever he's doing and dingle, dingle, dingle. If all of a sudden you stopped hearing dingle, 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 they'd be like, oh man, got another one. And they pull them out because they couldn't go in there because the Holy of Holies was the place where only the purest of the pure could go. When Christ died on the cross and said, it is finished, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from all the other folks was torn in two, not just symbolic, but realistically opening up the Holy of Holies to everyone. You have direct access to God the Father. There's no longer a separation. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. He has done it all. There's nothing you had to do other than say, well, Jesus, since you did that, I really need that. And you accept him into your life. You repent, you ask for forgiveness, and you receive him as Savior. Amen. Yeah, Okay. Because that is something to be excited about. My anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds to the hope that I have direct access to my king. And I can run boldly to the throne room of God and make requests as I need them. Not, you know, like, Daddy, I want a new car. But then again, maybe. Maybe. Like, God, you know my car is wearing out. 
You know, somehow will you provide that you know, hidden manna, that daily bread, what I need for today to get from point A to point B? Yeah, you can run to the throne room of God. Man, my, my marriage is on the rocks. God, would you help me fall in love with my wife again? Would you help my wife fall in love with me? Now, that's an illustration. My wife and I are good. So <laughs> we don't have to start a prayer chain. But you can run to the throne room of God and, and, and ask him anything. Amen. Because he's for you. And when you get this in you, any word spoken to you in today's culture, in the world that we live in, any word spoken in such a way that, man, go ahead. It's just a little. It's not going to hurt anyone. You can overcome the enemy. And you will not be swayed by his lies. Go ahead and stand up right where you are for a moment. Let's wake up again, right? Say this with me. I'm a child of God. The enemy has no hold on me. I receive no lie. I know his word. I know all the truth. Because I've committed to put it in me. The enemy will not win. I am an overcomer. I didn't hear that. I am an overcomer. There you go. Speak it with more conviction. I am an overcomer. I live abundant life because Jesus gave that to me. This world has no hold on me. I live in this world but I am not of it. But I will do all I can to reach more people in this world for Jesus. Amen. 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 If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.